This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Heeves. Welcome back to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Heeves, and we are here to become better habitat managers. Guys, brand new year, 2022, happy new year. We are fired up. It's habitat season Got some awesome podcasts here in the books coming up. Going to the ATA trade show today. Um, Going to see what new products are around down there, let you guys know what we find. Just pumped up for this year. Got some big things coming, and we're excited. Uh, mo- I'm most excited to get out with my chainsaw and start getting some canopy opened up. And speaking of that, we have Greg Bernston from Bernston Timber on the line today. He's uh, part forester, part logger, part habitat manager, part... Uh, Hunter. So, Greg is from Pennsylvania. We had Greg on way back in episode 15, 1-5. So, I'm talking like, I don't know, three years ago, three and a half years ago. And uh, we dive into some more specific stuff today. We've talked with foresters. We've talked about logging and timber and TSI on many podcasts. We're diving in deeper. We're going more specific on this podcast. We're going to talk about different timber contracts that you can get in if you're looking to work with a forester. A couple different types of contracts out there. We talk about different ways to take payment for your timber. There's three different ways that we talk about on here that could be you. And you can pick which one you want to do uh, based on the information we're going to talk about. There's also, we cover again what to look out for when you're looking for a forester and a logger. Um, there's kind of a checklist that I'm going to put up on the HabitatPodcast.com blog. Um there's a bunch of things to look out for because sometimes in logging, it can be the Wild West if you don't know what you're doing. 
We guys, we dive deep. There's a ton of information. I know you guys are going to love this episode because it is info-packed. So thanks for coming back here at the Habitat Podcast. Now, I also need to mention the Habitat hook from Nation's Creation. So Nick Nation is a partner of the podcast, has been for a very long time, and we use the Habitat hook here at the podcast for our TSI work. Now, it's all on the website. You've seen this information before. You've heard us talk about the product. We've interviewed him a couple times. But check out HabitatHook.com. He has a new aluminum hook model just released as three attachments. So now you can take off the hook and add three attachments. One's the same style as a regular hook. One is a smaller hook that is a pound lighter, and that makes a difference when it's, you know, 10, 14 feet up in the air. And also there's a saw attachment from Silky, a Silky saw blade attachment. So now you can really diversify your habitat hook and get some stuff done while you're out in the woods. All these are now available, habitathook.com, and the new how-to page will be up soon for how to use the habitat hook, tips and tricks and recommendations on creating habitat features with this product. I specifically, no plug here at all, I do not go into the woods with my chainsaw without my habitat hook. No joke, it works and is that much of a help to me. I'm normally running by myself, and that works for me to put the trees where I need to put them. So uh, we have a new discount with Habitat Hook, which we've never had before. If you go to the habitathook.com, use the code HP10, HP10, 10% off all Habitat Hooks and accessories. And uh, let us know what you do with it this, this winter and this spring out in the woods. Show us some pictures of a Habitat chat. So thanks so much for that, guys. I want to say uh, thanks for everybody who left us great reviews. We're sending out more decals for that. That can be found in a link below if you just scroll down in the show notes here today. I want to thank Packer Max Cultipackers, Killer Food Plots, The Habitat Hook, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Exodus Trail Cameras, Afflictor Broadheads, Morris Nursery, and Realtree United Country Land Pro Lake States Realty and Auction. All right, guys, good luck getting out and opening up your canopy. If you want any help with your habitat plans this year, please reach out to our land plan services at habitatpodcast.com slash land plans. Also a link below. We're filling up about full um, in the Michigan area for the year. So if if you need one, let us know quick, and uh, we'll get you on the list. All right, enough from me. Let's get to it with Greg Bernston, everything forestry and timber contracts, payments, what to look out for in the wild west of timber. So we're just yapping as we get this started. Brian uh, just showed us the official score of Chris's buck on the Ohio lease, the Golden 134. And uh, A.K.A. Test Farm, A.K.A. Yeah. Camp Tin Can. Camp Tin Can, Habitat Test Farm. Muskingum County, Ohio, and that buck so far is grossing at 134. So with that's two kinda, broken tines. With two broken tines, yeah, he'd have been right. Yeah. Well, that's not too shabby for 134 acres and 134 inch deer. I think you were supposed to kill the 134 inch deer, if yeah. I remember. Yeah, that's right. Our predictions, right? <laughs> yep. I'll and, take it though. Oh uh, yeah, no. Super two bad. down so far, and our plans coming together, and. There's still plenty of mature bucks and plenty of season left. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, congrats, Mr. Hanberry. We'll cover that more uh, 
on our social media. You guys will pay attention to that. If, if you do, you'll see a buck we just harvested here in January. On the 4th, our lease partner, Chris Hambury, harvested a great buck last night on the 4th uh, here in 2022. So, But today we have a returning guest, Greg Bernston from Bernston Timber. If you guys have been listening from the very beginning, you'll recognize this guy's voice. I'm talking way back before Brian became the co-host, like... Brian said he joined episode Way 15. Back. Yeah, we're talking we're talking a coon's age ago and episode fifteen, Greg. One five yeah. you were on. Long time ago. Long time ago. And now we're one sixty one. How you been, brother? Good. Good. Following along with what you guys are doing. I'm on the habitat page. I'm kinda quiet unless it's timber related and then once in a while I chime in and Try to keep the silvicultural nerd stuff at a minimum. <laughs> you know what? You can nerd out, dude, because that's all we do anyways. Um, and that group is just, the Habitat Chat group on Facebook has just been phenomenal. So we appreciate guys like you, you know, weighing Absolutely. in when you do. And, um, you know, timber. Timber's on everybody's mind right now. Timber harvest. Uh, getting a forester involved. Making your hunting property better, right? We've been yes. having people reach out to us for for consultations, probably having the same feeling that you and I talked about with, hey, I want to change my woods this year, right? Like, what can I do? Right. Um, hunting season's over. Now we're talking, one of the first things that Brian and I usually recommend is a uh, timber harvest on probably 95% of the properties we've been on. Um, so, Greg, you reached out, and you want to cover some different timber payments, some common methods you see some timber contracts, some different, more finer points of the forestry world, which I can appreciate. We've covered a lot of stuff high level, uh, so I'm excited to dive into this and, and hear what you have to say. But before we get into that, let's hear a quick recap on who you are, uh, where you're from, what you do for a living, all that good stuff. Um, and again, I, I urge people to go back to 15 and check that out as well. Yeah, so my name is Greg Burnson. I live in Wellsboro, Pennsylvania, which would be Tioga County, um, north central. So we're actually in a straight, like due east-west, almost right in the middle, but north-south. We're actually like 20 miles or so south of the New York border. Um, for folks that are following along, if um, we were, you and I were talking earlier there, Phil is like an hour and a half east of me. Um, so it's big, it's a mix of mixed ag and, you know, we're in an area where dairy farming is sort of fallen by the wayside. So you've got some private overgrown farm. Um, but then at the same time, we've got 160 something thousand acre state forest is, is kind of my backyard. Um, so it's a, it's a mix as far as my background goes, um, University of New Hampshire for forest management back I'm going to date myself here. I graduated college in 2005. Um, New England was home, moved to Pennsylvania in 2007 with my wife. So, um, And, yeah, I do do a mix of stuff, um, as you can tell by the, the get-up if this is video. Um, <laughs> the, the suspenders and the logging pants, I, I do most of the time I'm, I'm running equipment and a chainsaw and actually cutting timber, um, but my background is in forestry. Part of the reason that I cut timber actually was couldn't 
find contractors that were doing the work that I wanted to do, you know, making the the improvements, not just cutting the high-grade timber, but actually, you know, doing the work that was going to have a long-term benefit, which um, most of the landowners in this area, um, I would say, just a guess, probably 40% or so of the, the larger landowners are actually absentee and own their property in this area for recreation. Um, Tioga County easily doubles in population during rifle season. So um, hunting and hunting and outdoor outdoor recreation is a pretty, pretty big thing in this area. So um, yeah, that's, that's kind of that. Nice, nice recap. I think I, I want to see what your suspenders say. I can only see the bottom of it. What, what do they say there? Oh, it's uh, Madsen's. Okay. Um, the pro's choice. So for gotcha. those for the, for those of you that that are looking for for gear, um, they're they're out in Washington. That's where the pros really do shop there. Okay. Yeah, I believe you. All I saw was Mad on the one side. I'm like, this looks interesting. As <laughs> so, I say there, and it sounds like where you're from. Is that do a lot of people come up from? Are, are the absentee landowners in the cities then, like Pittsburgh and, and whatnot? Or are they any idea? So, so the the way the highway system works, I would say more of them are from southern and eastern Pennsylvania okay. and into New Jersey. So okay. I would say it's like the suburbs of Philadelphia and definitely New Jersey. Um, we see some Maryland, some Delaware, but I would say that that south south and southeast part of the state is probably the the biggest um i mean it's a population center anyway um, sure. but you know you, there's a lot of a lot of those landowners call call those areas home so um and then there like pennsylvania i mean uh, there's some definitely some rural areas in central pennsylvania but it, i think it's sort of like if you were going to travel out of philadelphia most of them seem to want to go further and come up to like the bigger, the bigger mountains. And it's sort of like the, this area sort of has the iconic history, I think of like, you know, similar to maybe Michigan and Wisconsin, like the deer camp era of, you know, the, the shack with a coal stove and a bunch of guys sitting around a card table, drinking scotch and smoking cigars and telling stories like that is, that is sort of iconic deer camp, I think in, in Northern Pennsylvania. Um, so Tioga, Potter, McKean, like these big northern counties and big open space are sort of, sort of started that for a number of years. Um, and it's just kind of stuck, although the, the camp culture may not be as big as it, it once was in that regard. Um, I do still work on, on a number of properties that have multiple landowners. The job I'm on right now is a, hunting club 250 or so acres with nine or ten active guys and some older members that are honorary and still hunt and that sort of stuff but um yeah yeah i think uh mccain county and potter are about the far reaches of where people have camps from my side of the state over on the west that's just just the drive i mean it's four hours or so to Cowdersport. so i think anybody trying to get any further there's probably a few diehards but yeah, that's pretty darn accurate. It sounds just like just like Michigan. I was going to ask Brian if you had that on your side. I, I know you do. Um, you guys even go up into New York too, right? I know a couple of guys that scoot on all the way up to New York for their deer camps too. 
Yeah, southern New York is, is a lot like northern Pennsylvania. You get some okay. guys going up that far that want to extend their season, kind of like we do in Ohio. Hey, man, I'm a huge fan of deer camp, so I like it. I like it. Now, Greg, talking into into timber, I guess let's bridge the gap from where we're at in the conversation now to how we get into the timber payment notes here and the contracts. If, if people want to improve their property, they reach out, they find someone like you, or, or, or who are they looking for? Normally around here, it's a, it's a forester of some sort. Um, talk about kind of how you get put into your jobs, if you will, and then we'll talk about some of the different, you know, different pricing things and the way the contracts can be dealt once you get the job. Um, okay, so normally, I guess in some ways I'm pretty fortunate that normally the phone rings and a landowner has either heard about me word of mouth, seen me working somewhere, saw my equipment roll by, you know, whatever it may be. And we do that initial initial meeting, walk their property, see what they've done in the past or what they what they've got going on, try to pick their brain a little bit on what their their long-term plans are. Um, and then what sort of timber, what sort of timber work they're looking to do. Um, sometimes it's, I, I, they don't, they don't really have any idea and they're, you know, they're, they're starting at ground zero and they're, they're just looking for an education. And then, you know, I'm wearing my forester hat and explaining like the, the silviculture and the science of, of timber management or, you know, and how, Sometimes it's yeah we we want to balance it. Sometimes it's no we're we're not worried at all about timber, and we can dive into that a little bit too. You know there's there's a difference between we're not worried about timber revenue and long term like they're not managing for timber, but at the same time if it's got value they don't want to just lose it. Um, and then you know sort of looking at all the other issues too. I mean. I don't want to get too far into the science stuff because that's been covered, but, you know, the invasives and are there problems that are going to happen if we start doing canopy manipulation, that kind of stuff. And then lay out a plan and figure out, you know, how how that's going to work and come up with a system of sometimes it's paying for the timber, sometimes it's they're getting rid of timber in lieu of services. Um, which is sometimes easier, you know, as a logging contractor with access to equipment. Sometimes it's it, it's more cost effective for them to do that than just sell their timber and then have somebody else do the work. So there's a number of ways it, it works out, but that's that's sort of how it goes. Um, I don't I haven't had to solicit for work and, and go knock on a bunch of doors and try to try to find more work in quite a while, which is kind of nice, but. Most of the bigger the bigger sawmills and some of the bigger logging outfits definitely send out the letters and knock on the doors and um, try to drum up drum up work that way. And it, it's an effective way to do it. I, I did it when I got started, um, especially neighbors. I mean, I will still do that once in a while, more just to be friendly and um, say, hey, you know, you're going to see log trucks and we're moving in and, um, you know, if there's ever – ever a question about a property line or I couldn't find a corner, certainly it's easier to have everybody on the same page than 
find out you cross the line because nobody knows where it is kind of a thing. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and word of mouth is always better anyways. But, like, when you can when you can get your, your way in and make a reputation for yourself – that's always that's always great, and I'm happy to hear that for you. I know um, one of our listeners, um, David Hoy, he's been a big champion of the podcast for a long time. I think you're working with him as well, right? Yep, I actually walked the camp that he's in, and and went and took a look at his um, the acreage behind his his house, and um, he's got some cool stuff going on. Um, wasn't really. The, the piece behind his house, he's going to be doing some TSI work, I think. And then um, so far, he's I think he's been able to handle everything. The the girl he's working with in the NRCS office for their camp has been been pretty receptive and answered a bunch of questions. But helping helping them get started on dealing with a bunch of invasives, um, Barberry especially. Is, <laughs> I mean, they've got like acres of it on that camp that they want to control just because it's it's not food and it's tick cover. I mean, I don't know what the exact percentages are, but I know Yukon did that research on how bad barberry is as far as the number of deer ticks and the likelihood of Lyme disease, which is on everybody's brain, I think, when they're out in the woods in the fall. And I know this year was oh, yeah. pretty bad for them here. So. Well, it's funny you bring that up. Not funny, I guess, at all. Um, my neighbor on my 15 acres, he owns 55. Great guy. Um, he has Lyme disease, and he suffers pretty greatly from it. Um, right. Never feeling good. He's always, you know, yeah, so it's a huge issue. And if you can omit the tick habitat, more power to you. Um, so I guess that, you know, timber contracts, some key points. If you're, say, we've, we've talked to you, we've had you out, or, or another logger or forester, um, where do we start with the timber contracts, the key points to look for? Um, kind of going over our notes here. Um, all right. So the the first thing from the landowner side of things is that you, you need to have, in order to make a really informed decision, you need to have as much information as you can. So timber – is usually sold in, in some method of some volumetric measure. Saw timber and veneer is normally sold by the board foot, and then uh, your lower grade species is normally sold by the ton. Unless you're in the Midwest, you guys still use cords too. I, I guess they stick scale pulpwood somehow by the cord, or they just assume that every truck has X amount of cords on it. I'm not sure exactly how they do that, but I know you guys in Michigan have those goofy, like, 14-axle trucks that are rated to haul 170,000 pounds or some crazy oh, crazy stuff. But. We have a ton of pulpwood, for sure. Um, and so, you know, that that's kind of the start, is that you need to have most of the data that you're going to see to compare numbers and know if you're getting a fair price is you need to know species, volume, and then sort of be able to extrapolate some data, you know, or, or some pricing from that. Um, where it gets vague is that not every buyer is going to give you all of those numbers. Um, and so I think that 
that's sort of where the conversation starts, and, and we can go into that a little bit. Um, yeah, go go so, into it a little bit because I know there's some some assets online that you can look at, and they may be you may have to have a membership, or you may have to go back in time to be able to look at it free for certain timber values, where you can kind of get an idea on what the value is, right? I don't know what the website was. Um, I've tried this before, though, seeing what it should be worth. So most states that have where timber is a big part of their economy, Pennsylvania for sure, most of the the northeast states I know have it, Um, your extension service will probably publish quarterly information. Okay. Um, Good tip. But there again, your – so when you when you look at Pennsylvania's information, for example, so if you hop on Google, Penn State Extension Timber Market Report, it will give you every quarter they come out with with data, and they've got the state broken up into four regions. Tioga County falls right on the where the western end of the eastern side. Um, it's going to give you an average and a range, so you'll see like the average price for sugar maple, and then it'll give you plus and minus one deviation. So you'll kind of know where you're at. But here again, that number is going to be in board feet. And then they're going to give you, um, they do have the the low-grade prices, which are so minuscule, it, it's almost not. <laughs> okay. You're talking a couple couple dollars a ton. I mean, it all, it all adds up on a big job where you're doing a lot of TSI. Um, but it's not it's not the make or break of is my hard maple worth four hundred dollars per thousand board feet or eight hundred dollars per thousand board feet? One truck loads fifteen hundred bucks, the other one's three thousand. You know that that's a that's a big swing there. Um, but you have to have that data. And so if you're not familiar with doing that on your own, this is why most folks will tell you to to work with a forester right from the get-go. Um, part of what you're getting when you hire a forester is that the forester is compiling, like that's the actual field work that a forester is doing. They are coming up with, they're measuring the trees, giving them a volume, using all their notes, whether they're writing them down or just mental of, this is what the site looks like, if they've been in an area and worked that area for a long time, they know this hollow grows really good hard maple. This hollow has really nice cherry. The other side of the mountain, the cherry might be shaky, and when you cut it down, it looks like a dartboard. And they know it's going to be less value, just on experience. That's sort of what you're you're paying for. Um, and then depending on how they work their sales and how they how they market them, um, they sort of have an idea in mind as to what your timber should bring. They at least have a – they're setting sort of a bare bare minimum price that say it's $25,000 is a rough estimate. If it doesn't bring that, they may tell you, hey, I would hold off. I think we can do better. Maybe we'll see what the markets look like in six months. Um if you put it out, you know, put it out for competitive bid and there's a lot of interest, nine or ten sawmills and loggers bid on it, and it goes for 40 and you thought it was, you know, your minimum was 25, well, congratulations, I'd sign that. <laughs> you know, I'd sign that contract now. Um, and and so how that, these people determine their value, if you will, before going out to bid is, is 
the forester or the logger will measure um, the diameter at breast height, right? The DBH. Yep. And then DBH. How many? Merchantable height. Okay. So your your basic measure is DBH, which is your measure at four and a half feet, and then your merchantable height in logs or half logs. Um, a log is technically 16 feet, so we measure in down to half logs. So you're looking at the tree and giving it giving it a height and then there's a number of formulas and different log scales depending on um, depending on where you are the northeast uses international rule here in Pennsylvania you'll see Scribner or Doyle you get down south they use Doyle almost exclusively so even even that has a little bit of difference you know the same the same 20 inch tree with two logs which would be 32 feet of merchantable height is going to be a different number, same exact tree, same exact numbers punched into a different scale is going to be a different value, a different volume. Interesting. But everybody that any most folks that are in the business know to look like they're reading that and they know, okay, well, this is tallied in Doyle and we buy on Scribner, so Doyle actually underscales small logs a little bit so we can add ten percent. Or vice versa. Hmm. It's scaled Scribner, but we buy on Doyle, so they, they expect a little bit less. Honestly, most mills, if it's a bigger sale, most buyers, even if a forester has marked all the timber, they're sending somebody that works for the buyer. So if it's a big sawmill, for example, they have a forester on their staff, and he will go and check tally. Sure. That's what they call it, check tally that job. Or he's at least going to go and check one species or one block. So say it's a state timber sale and it's got eight units in it. He may go tally everything in unit one. And he looks at his numbers, looks at the state numbers and says, okay, we're within 3%. Do you expect the same, you know, the same forester did the whole job for the state. You sort, you know what I mean? They, that's how they crunch their, their numbers. Um, so that that's what you're that's part of what you're getting when you work with a consultant. Um, some consultants do like we're sort of talking about the competitive bid process. So the consultant compiles all of that information. So say he walks he or she walks your woodlot. There's 200 trees. <clears throat> they average 200 board feet apiece. So that's 40,000 board feet in a mix of species they have an idea of what it would be you know what the the gross value of that timber would be they may look at it and say yeah we understand you know or they put it in the contract you as the landowner have said hey when they do this i want a better road through this field i want to fix that crossing put in a culvert i understand it may be four thousand dollars worth of work and stone i want a good road in there put that in the contract Yep. So say that 40,000 feet is worth, the forester estimates it's worth $20,000 gross. If it was easy right next to the road, minimal landing construction, you're going to spend $4,000 on road work. The forester has an idea. $16,000 or so is where this timber should be. Okay. Sends it out to half a, it may be 50, 60, 70 sawmills, depending on, Depending on where you are in North Central Pennsylvania, there's a pile of them within a hundred mile radius. Wow! Other places, it might not be. It might not be that many, you know. Um, 
and then usually they give them a month or so, and, and any prospective buyer goes and takes a look at it, crunches their numbers, and part of it's a gamble um, because when you set your – when you agree to pay that price, that is the price. Um, that That is a true timber sale. So when that – so say five different mills or buyers put in a price – and they range from sixteen thousand to twenty five thousand dollars. Whoever bought it for twenty five thousand, most of them have some form of a contract that says twenty five percent of the payment is due at contract signing, and then it might be installments, it might be you owe us the rest before you start, and you have eighteen months to get it out of you know get the timber cut. Sure. If you agreed to pay for it at twenty five thousand. You agreed to pay for it at twenty five thousand. Like it's it's a done deal. There's no there's no going back. Oh, the economy crashed and now it's only worth fifteen. Sorry about your luck. You might lose money. <laughs> yeah, but um, the the property owner, the customer themselves, is guaranteed their twenty five. Guaranteed either that or they at least, if nothing else, most of the time, they at least got the money at contract signing. Yeah. And if the buyers like. Hey, you know, it's 2008 all over again and the housing and market stinks and you can't even sell boards. And they're like, hey, we're further ahead to lose that 10% and walk away. You at least paid, you covered the cost of the forester. Sure. Um, because most consultants will work either for a commission, a chunk of the mm-hmm. sale, or some of them just work by the hour. Um Depending on depending on what it is, if there's a lot of additional work that's not timber related, most foresters are billing you by the hour. Um, especially if the you know if the timber sale is part of some larger NRCS project where they're going to be overseeing fencing or other habitat improvements and a lot of that stuff, it may just be, hey, I need 50 bucks an hour, and that's across the board for all of this stuff, and it's three years worth of work on on some of these some of these sites. Um, but yeah, that's. That's normally how a forester sale is going to work. Um, I will say to some foresters, and there's nothing <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with this. The only the only time I would caution this is if you're if a forester is suggesting to you that they competitive bid and then they don't, that might be a little bit of a red flag. Um, but some foresters will opt to negotiate a price possibly with a a couple of buyers this is more common in in the northeast um but you do see it around here as well where a forester might look at a job and they know a logger that is has the equipment that's suited to that sort of a job yep and because the quality of work reflects on on the forester too, they may say, here's what we're going to do. And I I would prefer to see if Joe, you know, we'll, do, we'll give our, our hypothetical logger a name here. You know, Joe is set up to cut a lot of low grade and has really good, you know, say it's a, say it's a large scale improvement project and we're doing like commercial level TSI where we're cutting a lot of junk and low grade logs. Joe's set up with a feller buncher and a chipper, and he can get rid of all this junk. He'll clear that area you want for food plot. 
I'd prefer he get it and not somebody else because it's going to be way easier in the long run, and I know he's super professional. As long as Joe comes in and says, yeah, this timber's, you know, I can pay this much for it, and it, it dot, you know, it checks all the boxes otherwise, again, you're paying for the, you're paying for the, the foresters expertise to help you make, you know, make that contact and streamline that whole process. Um, rather than, you know, and oftentimes it is, it's easier for everybody all the way around than, than possibly put it out to bid and, and the high bid isn't really, isn't somebody you really want to work with or yeah, they bought it, but they're not really suited to the job or you're worried it's not going to be up to snuff. Um, and honestly, sometimes that's the forester isn't even sending a bid out to some of those guys because they know I, I don't want to work with that guy. <laughs> um, now, do you as the as the customer though, do you have the right to know who all he sends it out to, the forester sends it out to, and can you make that decision over the forester as the landowner? I say I want the higher bid, and um, even though it may be easier for you, just hypothetical here and and you're maybe maybe your buddies with Phil the logger but I want this other guy who came in higher just strictly cash um, like can, can I make that decision do you legally have to tell me who you sent it all out to how does that go down um I think that the, honestly I think it depends on the relationship that you that you have with the forester and that's some of what you'd want to hash out with them beforehand. So legally, you don't have to tell me. Okay. What's that? <laughs> so legally, you don't have to tell me, right? Like that's um, something I'm, I'm I'm suggesting people might want to ask. I didn't ask when I had mine done, but I'm just wondering if like, did you know? Do you send it out to twenty, thirty, two, three? I don't know, right? So how do you how do people know this unless they ask? I I think. Most of the people that I've worked with and most of the foresters that I work with, um, I, I honestly don't know. I get, I mean, I'm on both sides of it. So there's, um, I know, like, if I tell a landowner I'm going to bid off their timber, that um, you, usually, you know, the list is 30, 40, 50, you know, depend, you know wow. or more, depending on who it is. And I have no problem telling the landowner hey this is this is who they went to um unfortunately i mean i had one this summer that it's we're we're getting to the end of it um i put a sale up this summer that was all ash 95 percent ash it was still healthy which is surprising considering how how bad a shape it was in i sent that out to 40 something sawmills and loggers and and nobody bid on it because everybody had so much ash in their pipeline like i think it was just too late and it sucks. I mean, I, I did a lot of work, and I didn't get anything out of it. Um, and, you know, I maybe it's just me. I, I should have done a better job, I guess, maybe told the landowner you're going to owe me one way or the other. I was kind of scared that was going to happen, but um, I did it. We'll take that one on the chin. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just asking, know, I, yeah, that makes, that makes sense to me. You have a reputation to look out for for your own business, so you're not in the business of, of you know, of hurting anybody. I'm just, I'm just wondering if like there's a, if that's something people need to watch out for or or not, you know? Well, and so, you know, this is a, this is, I, there are foresters 
that I have met and crossed paths with um, that may not send bids out publicly um, and have been caught not doing that um, to the extent where, you know, the landowner comes down to the mill that I sell a lot of logs to and says, you know, I was surprised you didn't bid on that job. And, like, the eyeballs go up and go, well, we never got the bid sheet. Exactly. So, you know, <laughs> like, that sort of stuff happens. Um, as a landowner, I think it's in your best interest. You should be able, speaking for me personally, if – if a landowner was to ask me, you know, the last sale you did, how did it go? If I had four or five bids on that sale and there was a range, it's a selling point for the forester to be able to say, look, I sold this timber. I figured it was going to average, you know, it needed to bring $25,000. That was sort of my number. The bids, there was five bids that ranged from, 24,000 to 35,000 and I take a 10% commission. Well, if the high bid was 35,000, the forester made 3500 bucks. He far exceeded the 245 low bid even minus the commission, you know, so the and then the forester essentially I mean he more than paid for himself with that range of pricing. Sure. As a landowner, would you have gotten that pricing? Probably not. I mean, we can we can talk about that too. Um, the mills know that it's going to be competitive bid. Um, in some areas, there's no like there's no secret. It's the trees look like they're ready to go to a Grateful Dead concert. I mean, I can. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, like some areas where it's it's competitive and there's a lot of sawmills. If it's a hot species. Right now, white oak is doing phenomenal. You put out a sale with really good quality white oak in central Pennsylvania, you'll have 10 buyers there all running their own numbers, and everybody's putting their own mark on that tree to make sure it's they've tallied it. And there's blue lines and pink squiggles and yellow circles and green dots. and I mean, it's goofy, um, but everybody's crunching those numbers, and, and it's going to go competitive. Um, so, you know, the – it's a selling point for the forester to be able to say, yeah, we, I put these, these sales out for bid and this is the, this is what I got. And this is why I get this much as a commission. And the, the next part of the sale, if you're working with a, a forester, that's good is that they're checking on the job, making sure stuff that wasn't marked isn't being cut or that a contract is being followed through with. So <clears throat> sometimes you know, it, it's easy to see where it'd be a problem that, yeah, they're stealing, you know, they're cutting trees that weren't marked, that's stealing. Sometimes it's, they're not doing what they're supposed to. So say we're clearing five acres for a big food plot and there's some really nice saw timber, but there's a bunch of junk in it and they're just cutting out the big stuff and leaving all that other stuff. Well, that doesn't work either. That's not, that's not reaching our objective. And the foresters kind of cracking the whip and, and making sure that stuff's getting done too. So, um, you know, the the forester in that instance is really like your agent that's that's overseeing everything um, and kind of putting their name on the job as well. So <clears throat> there's definite definitely benefits to to using them. 
So, Greg, you might have covered this on the last time you were on the podcast, but just a quick high level, what can the property owner do to protect themselves? Is there a place they can go to review these foresters in their area, or is there a database where they can see, you know, which ones they can trust and read some reviews? Um, I, I would say your your first uh, first call would probably be, at least in Pennsylvania, all the counties have a service forester. And they can't, you know, being as they're state employees, they um, they can't make individual recommendations, but they can give you somewhat of a shorter list and say, well, you know, these are foresters that we've interacted with in the past. And they may they may add a couple names that might be a little bit further away, but they know are good. They might omit a couple and, you know, or tell you that this guy retired. He, he may and or may not be, but that's sort of their way of saying, like, yeah, I don't know that I'd call him. Okay. Um, you know, and then just really I, I stress this a lot, uh, you know, on my personal and business Facebook page. I mean, do – it's it's hard. It stinks that there isn't more um, more ways for a landowner to check on this. But really, I mean, do your homework. Anybody that's a professional in business should have no problem giving you references. Um, invite you even out to a job. You know, I I've done that with landowners before, and said, I know you drive through. You're coming from southern southeast Pennsylvania to Tioga County. I'm working here. If you want to see what it looks like, and honestly, I'll, I'll say this, it's easier for me. I would rather a landowner come and see what a job looks like if I'm giving them ideas and saying we should reduce, I mean, I can talk the silviculture, reduce basal area down to 50, 50 square feet per acre and leave it in preferred speed. You know, you can spout off the jargon. It can make the most forestry sense in the world. But if you don't know what that really looks like in the woods, it's easier for me to show you. This is what sure. your woods is going to look like. This is what it smells like on an active logging job. It smells like mud and sawdust and bar oil and diesel fuel, and there's tops laying around, and this is what a skid road looks like. And if you want, we'll drive three miles down the road, and I'll show you the one I cut two years ago, and the roads are going back with clover and the stump sprouts are growing. So you can visualize what it looks like. I mean, as a landowner, and I'm sure you guys see this when you're writing plans, like you can tell them all the stuff in the world, like go in here and, and cut this. And how many times do they cut it hard enough the first time? Right. right. <laughs> you know, like you, you've got a picture in your mind. Like when I look out the back window or I sit in this tree stand, like this is what it looks like. And there, there is, I mean, if you're making significant changes, it, it's a there's a little bit of a culture shock, even if it all makes sense and the science backs it up. Absolutely. Um, and so I, I would think that any any forester should be able to to give you some references and say, you know, call call this guy at such and such hunt club. I've had a long term relationship with them, worked with them for the last ten years, helped them with these different projects. And pick their brain, and you'll know um, you'll know pretty quick. Awesome information, Greg. Thanks for that. Um, I'm just taking some notes here. Great things that these, that our landowners can do. Uh, a little bit of homework, um, and 
my thought keeps rolling as a segue to our next thing to talk about, and, and it would be an answer to the question Brian had, too, is make sure it's in the contract, right? Make sure right. your contract is specified to your needs and how you want it, and then leading right into our next point, we want to talk about timber contracts, um, the difference between a contract with a consulting forester and then a difference, and then the other option would be the contract with a logger or buyer from a mill. Um, so let's let's hear the differences there, uh, and uh, maybe that could solve some of the the worry or apprehension. Uh, but you just nailed a bunch of cool tips that that I'd love to recommend people go see another guy's job, go check them check them out. I love all that. So let's get into the different contracts with the consulting okay. forester and the uh, buyer or mill next. So with the with the forester. And the forester is going to be pretty easy. Pretty much the forester just wants to – he's got to cover himself to be sure that he's somehow going to get paid. And you, as a landowner, want to ask what all is involved in that payment. So we've already hit on a bunch of this stuff, but obviously they're going to give you – you know, they're they're coming up with the numbers, doing the tree tally, the all the inventory work, putting it out to bid. And then along the way, checking on the job. So make sure all that stuff is is spelled out and you understand all of that, or better yet, that they understand everything that you're looking to get done. Um, and then from there on, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Um, this is a really rare situation, I think, but... Um, you want to make sure, and this gets back to, you know, the are you as a landowner entitled to the information? You should at least be asking all those questions up front. How does your sale work? And they should be up front in telling you that either I'm going to, it's going to get bid off to a number of mills or, you know, and they may make their decision as you're walking through your woods with them and say, hey, this one might be better negotiated. I can help you with this, but there's only a couple of guys I have in mind to handle handle this project. Or maybe you've got a shortened timeline of I really want to get all this cut and grubbed out so we can have a food plot in here by fall, and a standard 18 or 24 month contract doesn't apply. It might be a bigger company with feller bunchers and grapple skitters that can actually get it done in that time frame. Um, but they should at least be up front with all that information with you. Um, what you don't want is somebody that's more like an agent. And you just, I mean, you got to be blunt and ask them that question. And you got to kind of put your senses up and be like, man, this guy kind of strikes me like the slick tear used car salesman. Maybe I'm not, like, I don't like this vibe. And walk away. I mean, it happens. You know? <laughs> um, the I've seen it before where the consultant, you know, and I'll air quote here, the consultant wasn't really a consultant. He sort of advertised himself that way, but worked specifically with one mill. And then the contract between him and the landowner and then him and the mill that eventually sold the timber, like he was just playing middleman and it ended up a really, really convoluted mess. Um, you deserve, you also have the right as the landowner 
to see the contract that is being signed by the buyer. So make sure all that stuff is spelled out in that contract. So, and this is this is where um, it's actually the club I'm on I'm on right now. Um, they could have saved themselves a whole lot of headaches had they seen that contract. Um, and this is going to sound like going backwards, but I think it's important to note. Like part of the reason timber is different, you're selling an asset but it's on ground that you're still going to own. So normally, like, when you have a timber, when there's a timber problem or I meet with a landowner that cut timber 10 years ago and they're kind of sour and still sore about it, it's either they feel like they didn't get paid enough for the timber or they're really unhappy with the job that was done. So if the forester is selling that timber for you to a buyer, the forester probably has a contract that covers a lot of this stuff, but there should be like amendments or addendums added in there. And you want to see those. If you have some special restrictions, like deer season, you're not working, or you're going to clear, you know, all of this is going to be cleared out of like, we want you to drag the whole tree top and all out of this area because we're going to plant it for food plots. You have the right to see that contract. That's the stuff happening on your ground, and you still own it. Um, that should be covered. In their instance, like I said, this isn't really common, but the guy they had was pretty much a middleman. He marked timber, went to a mill that he does a lot of work with. They gave him a price. He came back and then bought it from the landowner. The quote-unquote forester had paid for it. That's oh. a red flag right there. So pretty much what he did, he sold it for $80,000. He bought it from them for 60 and paid himself 20 in between. And the contract the buyer signed did not have a bunch of stuff in it that they had wanted done. Um and everybody ends up upset. So how do you how do you know I mean you should know the contract ahead of time, right? But where's your payment supposed to come from? I guess we'll get to that, right? That's that's coming up. Um, so so when you when you sell it and we can get into the payment when you sell lump sum yeah which is, lump sum so if it's a competitive competitive bid lump sum payment that is the agreement to pay x amount of dollars for the timber so that that is a that price is set the only time it, it may come in installments but it's still going to be that price, Is that if that makes sense. So if it's a really big job, say it's $100,000 worth of timber, or that's where the forester estimates yeah, it. Yeah, great number. It He's may great. be 10% due at contract signing. So the day they open the bids, you know, they open the bids, congratulations, Jared, your mill won it for $100,000. You have seven days to get to the office and sign the contract, and you bring a check. If you bought it for 100000 10% do at contract signing. When you sign that paperwork, you hand them a check for 10000 bucks. And the check to the landowner should have my mill's name on it, right? Not the Forester's? The <clears throat> depend, this is, this is going to be in the contract with the Forester. Okay. Sometimes the Foresters want their commission up front to be sure they get paid. Sure. So that 10% might actually be written to the Forester. Okay. Um. 
from there on out, you know, it might be, so let's say it is a hundred, let's say it was a hundred grand. You owe the remaining, the next three stages, you owe the next 30%, so $30,000 at, by, I mean, let's say, let's say you signed it this week. You know that, oh, the next one by February 28th, whether you start it or not. And you owe the next one by early June, and you're going to have it completely paid for by September, whether you've started or not. And, or, you know, it will be the remaining, it, it, you know, everybody's got a different, different breakdown of how they do it. But a chunk of money is going to change hands as soon as you sign the contract, and you're going to have a big sum of it if not all of it, by the time they start. Um, the only time, the only other time it might not be is if it's a, the state does it this way, which is actually kind of nice for the guys that are buying timber. Um, the state of Pennsylvania might have a sale broken up into three or four different blocks. You can buy it by the block. Now you can't cut anywhere you haven't paid for, but say block one is 50 acres and that was worth $25,000. You can pay $25,000 for block one, $30,000 for block two. It's not too common. I see consulting foresters do that, but once in a while you'll get one on a big sale. Say it's like gypsy moth kill on a, a significant chunk of ground, and it's a it's a big sale, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars to make it a little easier for, for more buyers. You know, a bigger mill that's sawing millions of boards a year and doing $40, $50 million worth of gross sales to buy a million-dollar timber sale isn't a big deal. The smaller mill that only does a couple million to, to shell, shell out half a million dollars on one sale is, is huge. And so, you know, they work with them a little bit to get, get more interest in the sale. They, it's, and, and that's why the state does it that way. It, it gives, a, gives more guys opportunity to, to bid on it. But um, the average private, private landowner probably isn't getting into that kind of stuff. Um, when, when it's a lump sum, you know, lump sum is a set price and usually some form of installments. Um, and then most contracts, again, depending on the size of the job are going to be from 12 to 24 months. Usually is the, the window that most, most foresters give the buyer to get the timber actually cut and, and out of the, off the property. So, okay. Now, let's move to the next one. How about itemized pricing? We covered lump sum. What is itemized pricing? What does that mean? So so this is going to be, um, again, everywhere you go is a little different. Um, so with a, a lump sum is, is really good. Um, but at the same time, you know, the, the buyer is going to be somewhat conservative or at least kind of hedging their bets. If they have any... Any idea like, yeah, I'm not sure this really big red oak might actually be going backwards, like it's over mature. Um, so maybe they're not putting full full value on it. Um, or as I wrote in the notes, like the itemized pricing is especially common in, in lower grade material. Um, rather than spending hours to go out and inventory pulpwood volume for example so let's say we've got 15 acres of mature aspen that we want to clear cut and regenerate for grouse and deer habitat rather than trying to go out there and come up with how many tons of aspen pulpwood are actually on here and say okay this is worth two thousand bucks or whatever it may be 
you've just given the landowner a price. I can pay you $5 a ton for this pulpwood. And every time a load goes to the mill, that truck rolls across the scale. 21 tons, the landowner makes 105 bucks. Um, in saw timber, what you'll often see is you may see the land, the the buyer, might be the logger is agreeing on a price, might be a mill has a logger working for them, and they say, we can pay you X amount of dollars for every for every board foot, so say it's soft maple. Soft maple, railroad tie grade and better, we pay $500 per thousand board feet. Um, that way it's it's very accurate. It's based on the exact footage that is actually cut off the job, and you know the price that you're getting for that, for every thousand board feet of that species you sell or every ton of pulpwood that leaves. Um, we have scrag in Pennsylvania, which is sort of a fancy pulpwood. It goes into pallet stock that's kind of in the middle between good saw logs and, and pulpwood. Same thing, bought by the ton. So it's a pretty pretty straightforward. Tons don't lie. The scales are all certified. I sell triaxle load of pulpwood, weighs 20 tons. Landowner's making $5 a ton. That load's worth 100 bucks. Pretty straightforward. Um, okay. Um, so how about the percentage split? This seems a little more detailed here from the lump sum or the itemized pricing. We have percentage so the, split. A percentage split is probably probably the most common way that timber is sold, actually. I was going to um, ask which one's the most common next. So, nice. So, according to some folks at Penn State Extension, less than 15% of timber sales in Pennsylvania are actually handled by a forester. Wow. Wow. Or a private independent forester, anyway. So, um, at least when you're when a landowner deals directly with a logger, the percentage split is probably the the sales pitch that you're going to get. Um, and to be honest, it, it's actually if you're working with a logger that you trust and they're not being really greedy on the percentage that they're taking, which that's open for discussion. <laughs> um, it's actually oftentimes the most lucrative way to go. Um, the logger that's taking the time to merchandise all the products into the best market, sort out the veneer, sell, you know, what we call maybe off species, um, or the less common species, if he's got niche markets for those, doing all that over the course of a whole job can actually increase the total value um, in a big way, more sense. so than selling um, selling the whole job to one mill, and that mill specializes in five or six quote-unquote normal species. You know, they saw hard and soft maple, red and white oak, cherry and that's it you know and you've got a job that's got some hickory and some basswood and some tulip poplar you know like they're going to buy all that they need to get it cut and actually haul it somewhere else at a profit they want to i mean they don't saw it they want to sell it somewhere else if the logger's doing all that merchandising himself on your behalf 
and selling it into those better markets, he's going to make you a lot more money that way. Again, this is assuming that the percentage split is, is reasonable. If somebody's taking 90% of your timber value and it's veneer walnut or something, they're being greedy. But um, every area is different. You know, I, I won't even – anywhere from 70-30 to 50-50 in both ways is, is common. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, you're going to hear them all, I'm sure. Um, I can't speak for anywhere else, but, you know, around around here – you know, somewhere in that range is going to be, you know, what you see. Um, where where that gets a little goofy, though, um, is that the percentage split is not technically a timber sale, hmm. if that makes – when you think about it. Um Money is not changing hands until the logs are actually sold. So you're actually signing, you're, in, in a lot of ways, you're really hiring a logger who's working on a commission. Yeah, because, I mean, he's doing way more work than than other guys would be doing, right? I mean, he's he's negotiating for you, he's selling for you, he's, and maybe the percentage is paid out more because of that. Um, right. But it seems like a lot more work. It it is um, it, it's more I mean the the work is being done by somebody okay I, I mean at the at the end of the day um, when timber is sold I mean the the process is the in a lot of ways is the same but the payments are definitely different I mean if you sell directly to a buyer say it's a sawmill, they're still paying a logger some amount of money to go and cut those trees. The trees standing in the woods are of no use to them until they're cut. So they're they're taking whatever they're using as an end number. So say it's green, say it's green lumber in board form. And they're taking all of their costs backwards to get to what they're paying you for your trees, if that does that make sense? Um, whereas the the logger that's working on a percentage, no, you know he's he's sort of covering the cost of the logging that a mill would have to pay. Now he's making it he's making it worth his while. The logger that's working on a percentage is making a lot more than the logger that's working for a mill. Um, but he may have slow times. If he doesn't have timber to cut, then he does. You know, the mill, the mill that needs 10 million board feet of logs a year and only has five logging crews, their guys cut wood every day. I mean, they they go to work. That is your job. You don't run out. If they run out of work, somebody at that mill that's supposed to be buying timber is getting their ass fired. I mean, that, <laughs> that's pretty much how that goes. <laughs> Whereas the logger that's trying to negotiate all the sales on his own is in the, you know, he's he's the salesman. He's the guy knocking on the door to find the timber. Right. He's got to have a relationship with a handful of buyers. But, you know, he's he's hopefully making it worthwhile that his percentage is paying for that downtime or the day spent where the skitter didn't run, but I worked with a veneer buyer all day to process up these nice logs. Um as a landowner, 
if and, and I can't stress. I mean, this goes back to the same thing. If you trust the person that you're working with and you've got a good relationship with them and you know they're going to deliver the quality of work, then by all means, it's not a bad way to go. I'm not going to tell anybody I would never cut timber that way. I've worked on those sales. Um, The other catch, though, you know, again, trade-offs both ways. If you're working, if you sell your timber, if you're working, for example, you're working with a consulting forester. So the forester's name is kind of on this job. You locked in a price. You know what you're getting for your timber. When you sell on a percentage split, if the market's good and you've got a species that's in demand, you're going to do better. The market crashes and that logger still wants to keep working, well, you're you're losing too now, right? I mean, if the price if the price went from eighty cents or eight hundred dollars per thousand, eighty cents a board foot to five hundred dollars per thousand, well, it just dropped three hundred bucks. Both you and the logger are losing. I mean, if it's a 50-50 split, he's losing $150 a thousand, but so are you. If he's got a, if he's still turning a profit at that lower price and the contract says he's allowed to keep working, well, he, he may keep working just because he needs to work, even though you're not happy with what you're getting for, <laughs> for logs. Sure. Um, high risk equals high reward, it sounds like. And so that's, you know, that's definitely one of the, one of the caveat, you know, you're not necessarily protected in that regard. Um, And the bigger buyers, so again, if you've lumped some sold it to a larger sawmill, most of them have, um, you know, they may have additional equipment they're working on their reputation as well. So they want to make sure that you're happy with the job. If you've got a forester involved and that forester puts out even a couple sales a month, so say 25 sales a year, that might be over a million board feet a year that that forester sells. That mill's going to work with him again. They don't want to piss him off. They want you to be happy. Whereas the logger, Again, some of them are awesome, and they do a really good job. Some of them have built very good businesses. They're concerned with their reputations. There are others that are like a pickup truck, and we're working for beer money on Friday night. And if you're not happy with the job, they don't. you don't have a whole lot of ground. Like, you can't go after them for anything because they don't have anything in the first place. <laughs> sure. um, it, it's the nature of the beast. I'm not, I'm not saying that to discredit anybody that's in the business, but – um, there are those horror stories and sort of that reputation of, you know, some loggers are super professional and some of them are hillbillies with chainsaws and, you know, some of them are in between and that's that. So yep. um, that's something to, to definitely be careful of. Um, and then to get into some of the other, <clears throat> the other points, um, the, as a landowner, um, it, it's important that you know how to ask the right questions. Um, so if you're concerned, for example, with where where your timber values should be or what you expect, um, because it, it, it's not it's not wrong for you to ask for a, a ballpark idea. Um, 
make sure you're getting an apples to apples comparison. Um, and I, I've seen this. I've had landowners tell me that that they've even done this and not really caught it. Um, so again, we'll use a hypothetical example. But so let's say you have a, a patch of timber. <clears throat> say you're doing a 10 acre clear cut, and you know, so it's all defined. There's no there's no discrepancies in in what we're cutting for trees. One logger comes out and says, "I'll buy it from you for twenty five thousand dollars." Lump sum, I'll pay you. <clears throat> the next guy comes along and is a little bit more vague, but says, oh, I think that, no way, there's $40,000 worth of timber here. But didn't tell you that that was what they were going to pay you. Just says there's $40,000 worth of timber here. You sign the contract on a percentage split. <clears throat> they cut all the timber off. Lay out all the logs, they get sold. The logs yield $42,000. Split it 50-50, you made 21 grand and the logger made 21 grand. You just sold your timber for less money. Didn't really, it, like, you weren't really lied to. It brought more than $40,000 in log form. But after the percentage split, it was less than actually selling it to somebody else for $25,000 right there. So that's sort of like you've got to be paying attention and asking the right questions, and that stuff happens. I mean, that that's not an uncommon scenario. Um, the other one is using a not average price to convince a landowner to sell their timber. Um, Interesting. So what's that? Interesting. Um so you, well, you know, it's it's a similar, similar. Um, you know, we we'll use another example. Like, so say say you ask a waitress, like, what do you, what do you average? And she says, well, Friday night I made a thousand dollars in tips. Well, yeah, Friday night was New Year's. Everybody was at the bar hamming it up. That's not an average. <laughs> but you know, if sure. if the guy working on the piece next door comes and knocks on your door and says, "Hey, you know, we're cutting along the line, and I see you've got some really nice timber," and yeah, go take a look at it. That's how a lot of sales actually happen. I mean, sure. it's just the guy's right there in the neighborhood, or he's down the road, and he's driving by your piece, and he sees there's big trees in there, knocks on the door. And says, well, the stuff we sold last week, we sold $15,000 worth of logs last week. Well, was that $15,000? Like, that's pretty arbitrary. Like, you don't have any details. How many How many board feet was that? Right. Is that $15,000 total and the landowner made 7500 bucks? Is that, was it 30? You know, what What was the split? How How much did the landowner actually make out of that? What does it look like in the woods? You know? I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that a lot of the, the folks following your podcast are as concerned, if not more so, with the outcome than they are with with the, the money. You know, they don't want to get screwed oh, and get sure. timber away, but the yeah. outcome actually matters. If you sold $30,000 worth of timber, but the guy left ruts to the belly pan and you can't even get your side-by-side -side out there, you got to do $10,000 worth of dozer work to access your property afterwards. Was it really worth it? You know, and that's sort of the the questions that you've got to be got to be asking. Great, great points, and and you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, 
mine, for example, I didn't make much money at all by the time I paid the Forester, and and it, it was already logged once before, you know, a couple five years before that. Um, so I was more concerned with the outcome more than anything. Right. And uh, so yeah, great great point there. And and you bring up so much good information, so many boxes to check when you're quote unquote interviewing your forester or your logger. Um I'm just gonna have everybody call Greg if they have any questions. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> I mean I'm gonna know I'm gonna call you in the future. This is this is uh a ton here. Is there is there anything that we haven't covered that you wanna make sure we hit within the contracts or, or the payment methods um before we kind of move into your favorite tree and, and wrap this up. Let me know. Uh I have a ton of notes already written down, so um, the floor is yours. I would, I would say that the the one other thing I would caution landowners a little bit is you somewhat need to have a plan um, or, or a goal. You know, you can you can work most most folks that are professional in the business um, are trying to accommodate you. Um, and hit your goals. I mean, that that's always my goal. Um, e- even though, you know, looking back over, over the years that I've been in this business, um, even though there's properties that I probably won't go back and cut more trees on, I still reach out and talk to those landowners. Some of them are, you know, I use them as references. If nothing else, I swing by during deer season and shoot them the, you know, check, text message, hey, you know, how's how's the season going? What are you seeing, you know? Um, part part of this business is building a relationship, and you know Tioga County. I mean, the whole county is forty thousand people. Um, you're gonna work on a lot of back roads and and bump into a lot of the same people. Um, so so have somewhat of a plan. Um, if you're vague, <laughs> you set yourself up for a whole lot of problems. Um. One thing we didn't didn't really cover, but I think we could touch on real quick, um, is the the landowner that wants to bid their timber, but they don't want to use a forester. Um, you you may set yourself up for a lot of problems. I was going to um, ask about that. Like, what if I wanted to take over the job of selling the timber? You know, like what if I wanted to go negotiate on my own behalf and and be the general contractor, if you will, or be the the forester. I'm glad you brought that up because I meant to ask that earlier. If so, if you have an understanding of what you're selling, and you're not just leaving it like willy nilly, turn a bunch of buyers loose in your woods to come up with a value. Um, you might be able to do okay. Um, if you don't have any rhyme or reason as to what's going on, it could be a proverbial train wreck. <laughs> and the re- so the reason I say that is that number one, and this is this is going to be playing the other side of the aisle, but I guess I'm wearing suspenders, so <laughs> I'm, I'm on I'm on both sides. I mean, I, I do the forestry thing and, and offer a lot of advice, but at the same time, I've been on the other side of it too. Um, if you're working for a mill or a big logging outfit as a forester, I have no reason, honestly, to trust you as a landowner. So I'm not going to give you any of my information. 
So we talked earlier, you kind of need, in order to run your comparables and look at the extension documents and the state timber sales, it's all in species, board footage, stocking level per acre. If I'm a forester for a sawmill, I don't know what some of the foresters I, I rub elbows with are making, but most of them are still, you know, they've been at these positions for a number of years. So let's just say they're making $50,000 a year, benefits package at the mill, four-wheel drive pickup truck, gas card, working 50, 60, 70 hours a week. Their estimate to come look at your timber is not free. They may not be billing you, but it's not free. <laughs> They're buying that timber at a price that accounts. I mean, the forester's cost is a cost of running that sawmill. It's factored in just like any other business factors in a cost. So say you have 50 acres and you call the local mill and say, give me a price on my timber. And that's it. You have no Maybe you give a diameter limit. You say, I don't want to cut any trees smaller than 16 inches. That forester may spend two, three days finding all your corner pins coming up. When he gets done, he's coming out and he's saying, I didn't mark anything below 16 inches. I'll give you 20,000 bucks. That's all you're getting. Because he's not in the business to make his competitor's life easier. Sure. If he gives you the whole printout that it's, 200 trees at 200 board feet of peat, you know. Now, you, and I've seen this happen. You may try to run it like an auction. Not not only are you getting other bidders to come look at it, and your trees are going to have, you know, the million different colors on them. I have no guarantee that you're not taking my number and telling the next guy what they need to pay above mine to beat it. (laughs) whereas you know most foresters that are doing the the consultants it's sealed bid and it's a public opening um if it's a if it's a really big job it's not as common as it used to be but um back when the cherry prices in central pennsylvania we're known for our black cherry when the cherry prices were phenomenal there were foresters if they had sales that they knew were going to bring hundreds of thousands of dollars like, the bid opening was a party. I mean, it was a tote full of beer on ice and surf and turf dinner. They wanted everybody there. They wanted to see what that timber was going to go for. And all the guys, I mean, the timber world is big, but it's not that big. Everybody in the county, they all know each other. So they're all sitting, you know, and you can see your envelope is being opened. This is your price. Pat on the back, congratulate the guy that won it, or think that he's crazy if he way overpaid for it. But either way, um, <laughs> wow. you can, like it, it was a legit. Everybody was playing on the same field. Sure. Um, if you don't have that rhyme or reason, and it's just go find what trees you can cut and try to one up the next guy. You know, I can cut a few more, or, and that's the worst. There's no direction whatsoever. So. One guy marks 100 trees. The next guy marks 120. The next guy after that finds 140. You know, and before you know it, it's it's dang near a clear cut. It wasn't even an apples-to-apples comparison sure. when all was said and done. Um, that's that's just a recipe for bad, bad news. <laughs> I guess what if you what if you went and and, and um, did, the, did the survey yourself and marked them yourself? If you had a little bit of knowledge on, you know, the, the DBH and the – the board feet of the tree and how many trees, I mean, 
is that a, a, an idea to get you? In, I mean, I'm not saying I want to do that because I I let the experts do the expert things, but um, could somebody manage that, or is it really? It sounds like a lot of time too. It's. I I would say that you could probably do it. Um. It might be harder than you think to drum up the interest that you're looking for, though. Because you're not um, reputable you, like, at all. If, if the – I mean, the buyers are going to know it might be a one-and-done job. Um, and, you know, there, there again, you, you may – you know, I'm – I guess I don't know. I don't know any landowners that have that have really tried it. Well, um, that answers the question. <laughs> but but I'm not saying that you couldn't. I mean, sure. I, I still think if if it was if I was to do that, I still think that you would want to steal some of the foresters' ideas. That you would want a a public bid opening. Um, you would want all of your trees. Mark the trees that you're going to cut. You know, both at chest high and a witness mark on the stump that's your that's the accountability is the the stump mark that that tree was actually marked to harvest um and if you know all that stuff you're comfortable collecting all that data and you know where it should be so you know yeah that that is a fair price then so be it um and again that's not a bad way to go um this is getting more into the science stuff but you know that's another issue with the with the percentage split is what is the objective who's deciding what trees are being cut and which ones aren't um, how are they being utilized you know is the is the logger only taking the nicest you know the first, the butt log and maybe the second yeah. cut because that looks really good makes the average look really high or is he taking it right out to at least the the pallet logs in the top and maybe, you know, the average doesn't look as good, but he's utilizing the resource better. Um, who, who's making those decisions? And that's, that's another area where, you know, that, that's more the science side of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, and, and it's a balance too of enough volume per acre to make it worthwhile that a buyer is interested versus maybe not so much that, I mean, maybe maybe the goal is to cut it really hard, and and you're taking all the volume per acre. Um, but if it's more of the timber management, or you know, we're just doing some release work in oak trees or whatever, um, is it enough to even be commercial? A good forester is actually going to tell you that from the get go. Like, hey, this is you know, we actually need to cut a little bit more, or yeah, there's enough here to drum up interest. It's not a problem. Sure. Um, shooting from the hip on your own, if you don't know that. Um, you know, and then if it's a big sale, I mean, if you've got 50, 60 acres, hundreds of thousands of board feet, you know, I, I don't know that you're, are you gaining enough to not, to not fall back on somebody else's knowledge of, of all the buyers in your area or, or that have bought in your area, even if it's a mill that maybe a buyer that you don't see all the time, but, but does get into your area for certain jobs. If you've got that one-off species, like, you know, or, or really high quality timber and that guy two hours away that has a super hard maple veneer market will come and, and pay phenomenal money for it. Yeah. If you don't know that, you didn't save anything by trying to market that yourself. <laughs> Very true. Very true. You taught me out of it, Greg. 
<laughs> no, I just thought better better cover that base, and um, no, I appreciate that. I I, I can always say uh, trust the experts, doing the expert things, and uh, so with our land plans, like Brian and I, we don't go in there telling you, you know, you need to cut this oak tree and harvest that one, leave these. But we we get into some detail on on stand locations and invasives and hire a forester, hire a forester, hire a forester, etc. So. Yeah, we don't want to get burned in the long run either by recommending something we can't um, back up. So, great points. Now, Greg, I'm going to wrap this up. Thank you so much for your time. I got one more question. We have been asking everybody recently, uh, the last 50, 60 episodes maybe, what your favorite tree is. And uh, I'd be curious to hear what your favorite tree is being, you know, in the position you are. Man, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, we, haven't, we haven't had that answer yet. We get a new answer every freaking time we ask the question. I swear to God. I I there there's a there's a lot of them. Uh, you know. Um, All right. When you walk into some timber and you see this one tree species, you're like, oh baby. But see, this is the hard part with a forester. Like, <laughs> I I gravitate to like. So say like a north-facing slope that's like sugar maple, ash, basswood, and there's one lone red oak that has no business being there, but he survived. That's my favorite tree on the site. Like, cool. we got to leave them there. You know what Great I mean? Great answer. I like, um, I like it. You know, but that's not going to be the same, you know, everywhere. Um, another one, and this is a, this is an old memory, but it, it was kind of, it's kind of cool. Um, and it's sort of a weed species, actually, so it, it shouldn't be a favorite tree. But um, there was a guy in, in New Hampshire. He's probably dead now. He was in his 70s when I was in college. And he logged with horses. And I'll never forget his old, like, 1770-something farmhouse, stone foundation, wide plank floors, big fireplace. On the wall in that house, we went there. We toured toured his operation and his woodlot in uh, winter logging class, and got to see the horses work and stuff. And we went in, and on the wall was a pressed hop hornbeam leaf. And there was a quote underneath it. I don't know if he had come up with it or what, but um, it said something along the lines of. If my dad was a tree, he would be a hop hornbeam. Ridiculously tough, and anybody that's cut hornbeam or tried to bend oh, it yeah. over knows, like, the stuff is rugged as all get out. And in the fall, he would turn a, a you know, faint shade of brown and enjoy the breeze or something. And, like, I can still picture that in my head. I don't know why. Like, it's just one of those <laughs> moments and, like, in that place that was kind of, you know, and I've reflected on that. You know, and now I look at it, I've cut so much of that crap down <laughs> to try to regenerate something better. Like, it's almost a nuisance. But that still plays, that, that picture in that house at that time still still sort of resonates. So, um, it is a resilient, tougher-than-hell tree. So. <laughs> Great answers. Yeah. Great answers. I love both new ones. I like it. Yeah. That's, that's the forestry nerd for you. <laughs> You never know. I, I don't know. It's it's a weird, simple question. Uh, I've been asking it, and and the answers are always unique. So I'm gonna keep asking it. But uh, right. 
Greg, dude, thank you so much for your time. Um, guys, we're going to publish some of these notes that we that Greg came up with on the um, Habitat Podcast blog, if that's cool with Greg. And yeah, uh, that way there's a resource there for anybody who wants to look a little further into our discussion tonight. And, uh, Greg, you know, wrap us up. Let us know how people can find you in the, in the Pennsylvania area and uh, southern New York area or, or wherever you're, you're servicing. And um, go ahead and plug yourself, and we'll get, get you out of here. Yeah, um, I'd say the easiest is probably either Facebook. Um, I don't. I actually don't know what it shows up as. Usually, it's it's just Greg Bernson is my name. I think if I if I post on the chat, um, <clears throat> there is a Bernson Timber Facebook page and a Bernson Timber Instagram. Um, right. So <clears throat> check those out. I I try to keep it pretty informative and sort of. It's hard to capture exactly what you're doing in a photo and, and scale it to that level, but um, you know, try to try to talk some of the silviculture into what we're doing. And sometimes it is just, you know, here's the fun I'm having replacing a hydraulic pump and a forwarder or something goofy. But um, <clears throat> try to try to keep it educational. And if people have questions, or um, that's the easiest <clears throat> easiest way to reach me is probably in those two places. And if the conversation goes deeper. Um, Certainly, you know, do a lot of communication via email if you've got, you know, even if you've got questions, if you're not not in this area, um, if you've got questions, I know we talked a lot about contracts and stuff. Um, if you've got questions, you know, I can reach out and I can get you my email and, and maybe read through it. I'm not a, not a lawyer by any means, so if it's, you know, really detailed stuff, but um i've certainly looked at plenty of them and and sort of scratched my head and been like no that that's not right <laughs> um you know can help help people out that are even you know maybe not not right here locally but have some questions so that's awesome well thank you again and maybe if we have a, enough listener questions we can drum up a, a post on facebook or instagram get some more questions and have you back on for maybe a q a session here uh, coming up so that'd yeah be cool. we can do that Awesome. We can well, do that. Thanks again, brother. Appreciate your time, and uh, thank you very much. Yeah, not a problem. Have a good night. Thanks, Craig. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, HabitatPodcast.com, we have our Habitat Property Consultation Services on there under the Land Plan tab. Check out our HP Land Plans there. We also have hats, T-shirts, and decals up at HabitatPodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal where you can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. I'd like to thank Exodus Trail Cameras, The Squirrel at NutPlanter.com, Packer Max Cultipackers, Afflictor Broadheads, Killer Food Plots, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction, and Morse Nursery. 
Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers. Yeah.